Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. Welcome back to the Tech Ed Podcast. It is Matt Kirkner, your host. Now, I am not a resident of the state of Michigan, but I've been spending a tremendous amount of time in Michigan over the course of the beginning of 2022 for one reason, and that is there's a lot of really cool things going on in the state of Michigan. We go where the action is. We want to talk to people who are doing amazing things in technical education, in advanced manufacturing, in public policy, as it relates to securing the American dream and driving things forward here in the United States of America. So we're staying on that theme today. We have a great guest, He is the chief executive officer of an organization called Michigan Works, and we're going to let the guests tell you a little bit about what this organization does. It's my pleasure today on the Tech Ed Podcast to welcome Ryan Hunt, the chief executive of Michigan Works. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Good, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, Great to be with you. Uh, An honorary Michigan resident for the foreseeable future. You're always welcome here, Uh, and we can certainly wave to you across the pond of Lake Michigan when you're back in Wisconsin. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that so very much to be an honorary resident. It is a great state. And as we're going to talk about today, a very diverse state as well. Just an interesting place to work and to do business and to have a job like the one that you have at Michigan Works. So tell us about the organization. What is Michigan Works if our listeners aren't familiar? Sure. I'm the chief executive officer of the Michigan Works Association, and we represent the 16 Michigan Works agencies here in the state of Michigan. Uh, Those 16 Michigan Works agencies are really the workforce delivery uh, agencies spread throughout each corner of the state. The 16 Michigan Works agencies themselves have 99 physical locations in the state of Michigan and the frontline staff there each and every single day are really meant to uh, assist both job seekers and employers connect with resources, be able to overcome obstacles that they may be facing in the pursuit of high quality jobs, high quality careers, and also assisting the employers themselves in finding the talent that they need to be successful in the near term and the long term. So the Michigan Works Association supports those 16 Michigan Works agencies uh, on three real different levels uh, that we have here at the association. First and foremost is on the public policy front, We work very closely at the federal and the state level to ensure that we have the right workforce policies in place for both our residents of Michigan and our businesses of Michigan to be successful. We also assist the frontline staff of the Michigan Works agencies themselves in pursuing different professional development and career opportunities. And then the third bucket is increasing the visibility of the workforce system in Michigan. And we do so by holding a number of different key events throughout the year. 99 different physical locations across the state of Michigan. That is really, really impressive and and incredible work that you're doing there at the Michigan Works Association. So as you set your agenda and you start thinking about the the kind of leader that you want to be with the Michigan Works Association, what you want to accomplish, you know, you, you certainly want to make your mark on the organization. You know, talk about your leadership style, how you're leading uh, these various agencies across the state and what makes you unique as a leader. First and foremost, I, I try and lead with positivity each and every single day, right? I think people want to be around others who um, set the bar in terms of maintaining a positive attitude and a positive outlook. We all enjoy working with others who come to work every single day with that 
that strong work ethic and the willingness to uh, do a good job and be a team player. And oftentimes people may not necessarily remember exactly what you say to them, but they will remember how you make them feel. And so if you can have those positive experiences, make those positive experiences for your team, for your members, for other stakeholders, I think that brings more people to the table to collaborate in the long run. I'll also say that my leadership style is uh, very democratic in the way that we hopefully make decisions as an organization and as a system, getting buy-in and feedback from other entities as to you, what, are, what are we thinking in terms of public policy, what kind of impact could this have on not just one or two of our members, but uh, all of our members at large at the uh, workforce development system here in Michigan. And really at the end of the day, what are we doing to show a value and impact to our members and the things that we're doing right now, I think are setting the groundwork for continued success and remaining a best in class organization as a workforce development association throughout the country. So positivity and a democratic nature in terms of how you're leading, making sure that you've got tremendous amounts of inclusivity and just having watched you uh, function in this role, it certainly shows in the way that you go about doing your job. And I'm sure as you as you go about that work, you're going to want to evolve the organization in certain ways. I'm sure you have put some thought into how you think that Michigan Works will evolve under your leadership. Tell us about that a little bit. We're actually just at the beginning stages of a three to five year strategic plan that we're working on right now. So through that strategic plan, that's going to inform a lot of the tactics and the strategies that we're hopefully going to implement likely in late 2022, early 2023. If I were to you know, give you some insights into what that strategic plan, how I think it will uh, likely roll out going forward, I think we're going to continue being more of an, a lead on the advocacy space in public policy at both the federal and the state level. Um, there's a lot of uh, partisan conflict in Washington, in Lansing, in state houses, in communities all across the country. I solemnly believe that workforce development is one of those issues that has bipartisan buy-in. So we're going to try and uh, take that and use that to our advantage as much as possible to ensure that whether it's a Democrat, Republican, independent lawmaker, uh, they understand some of the challenges that both job seekers and businesses are facing, not just in Michigan, but across the country. And we can develop and implement effective workforce development policies that raise the bar for those businesses, but also raise the bar for individuals so they can obtain higher wages, better training opportunities to support their families and support their communities. So I think a stronger advocacy role for our organization in the long term is certainly something that we will continue to implement. And I would also like for us as an organization to beef up our associate membership uh, package that we have. Historically, through the association, we've had anywhere from you know a couple dozen associate members that are part of the organization. But I would like for us to continue looking at ways that we can provide value, not just to our standard members, which are the 16 Michigan Works agencies throughout the state. Those are kind of our, our, our key members at the organization. But are we also working with community colleges, proprietary training providers, other public-private partnerships, or other community stakeholders that may not directly impact or influence workforce development to the same degree that many of our workforce development agencies do throughout the state of Michigan, but by nature of the way that they're approaching, you know, healthcare or transportation or other factors that do, in fact, in some way, shape or form, influence and impact the workforce development system in Michigan, bringing them into the mix to get their feedback and their perspective on what can we be doing as an organization to ensure that our businesses and our residents of Michigan are well supported in every single facet of workforce development.
Yeah. So listen, first to those organizational members, grow that membership and just build a bigger tent, pull more people into it. And, and I think you're right. You know, you look at workforce and we are in a, in an age where everything seems to be politicized. And it used to be just like in the six months leading up to a presidential election. And now it seems like it's, you know, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It doesn't matter which year it is, but as you talk and, and I do too, to public policymakers, it's, it's interesting when it comes to workforce development, when it comes to the importance of having skilled talent, when it comes to the importance of funding programs that work, there really does seem to be a fair amount of consensus in, in an area where everybody can work together. And you know what we tell people is if, if you share our dream and our mission of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent, I don't care who you voted for in the last election. I don't care who you're going to vote for in November. It doesn't matter. Let's work together and, and make some good things happen. And it sounds like you're adopting exactly that same philosophy as you look to bring as many people into into the works that you're doing and into the initiatives that you have. And, you know, Ryan, one of the things, and and this probably just speaks to my background in manufacturing, where we measure everything, right? And we always, we talk about what gets measured improves, what gets measured gets managed. If we want to improve a process, we first figure out how to measure it, figure out our current state, and then measure it as we go about improving it. So as you think about, you know, your work, maybe a little bit less objective in terms of how you can can measure some of the outcomes. I don't know, two years from now, you know, you've had this job for a couple of years and you look back over those 24 months, how will you, Ryan Hunt, define whether or not you've been successful? I had the, the best measure of success two years from now. Matt, you mentioned it in one of your responses to my answers a few minutes ago, growing that tent. How big is the tent two years from now? Do we still have the same stakeholders at the table? Do we still have the same individuals, the same organizations, or are we building more chairs and building bigger tables? And if we're doing that, we're going to need a bigger tent. And if we have a bigger tent in two years and we're able to collaborate with more stakeholders, that to me will be the ultimate measure of success for the organization, which I think for any association that's going to be value-driven for their members, having a bigger tent at the end of the day is the ultimate benchmark for success. I love that, the the whole analogy around more tables and more chairs and building that bigger tent, making sure that we're engaging with more and more different organizations, different individuals as you continue to grow what is already a significant amount of influence that your organization has over workforce development in the state of Michigan. I'm going to maybe tell a dad joke. You know, one of the things we want to make sure is that the headwinds that we face don't blow the tent over, right? So what are some of the most significant headwinds that you're facing and our workforce development in general in the state of Michigan, and, and what are you doing to overcome some of those challenges? Well, Matt, first and foremost, I can appreciate a good dad joke. Awesome. I have a little girl, she'll turn five next month, and she's still at the age, she will laugh at my jokes, but I'm thinking pretty soon the tables will start to turn uh, not in my favor. But to address your question on headwinds facing uh, the workforce system in Michigan, at the macro level, then we're facing a couple of different dynamics, really, you know, two or three different dynamics. One is an aging population. Two is continued population uh, declines in Michigan. Seems like every census, every 10 years, we're losing a congressional seat, which should be of concern for Michigan residents in terms of maintaining that level of influence in Washington, D.C. And then the third piece is workforce participation. I think those are the three key headwinds that are facing workforce and talent in the state of Michigan. There's a couple of things that we're trying to do from a workforce development perspective to help overcome some of those barriers. We don't have as much of an influence on the aging population or the population decline, uh, but I think that working very closely with our folks on the economic development front that have significant resources around marketing, especially with the Pure Michigan campaign here in Michigan is so 
uh, well-recognized across not just the Midwest, but throughout the entire nation and globally. There's certainly some things we could do in terms of attracting more people, hopefully, to not only vacation here, but also land here for their next career opportunity. But from a workforce participation side, that's something that we are hyper aware of and, and laser focused on going forward. One of the big things that we oftentimes forget, especially over the last couple of years, the number of barriers that people are running into in order to maintain and sustain their career or their job, those barriers have only continued to grow. If we look at childcare being a significant barrier, not just from an affordability standpoint, but an accessibility standpoint, that's an area that we are uh, certainly aware of right now and working very closely with the state of Michigan to identify and implement new resources to lower the cost of childcare, but also increase the number of childcare centers and the number of childcare providers in the state of Michigan so that people don't have to worry about where they're going to take their kids when they have to work in their jobs. So that's one issue is the, the barrier piece, not only in childcare, but also transportation, housing, food access is one that we've heard of as well. Going back to the childcare front too, one thing that's uh, of significant concern through the course of the pandemic, there's actually about 180 to 200,000 fewer women that are working in the workforce in Michigan, because many of those uh, women at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were seeing daycares shut down and schools shut down because of the pandemic and trying to you know, stem the, the spread of the disease, there were a number of women in Michigan's workforce that, again, became the primary uh, child care providers for their children. And for a variety of reasons, they just haven't re-entered the workforce to the same degree that other uh, demographics and other populations have. Uh, so from a removal of barriers standpoint, that's one thing that I think we can focus on in order to ensure that we are in some ways increasing the workforce participation rate here in Michigan. That's just at a macro level, you know, some of the challenges and headwinds that we're facing. And of course, in, in as much as all workforce development is local, being able to respond as specifically as you can to the various regions and and industry across your state is so so diverse. We're going to talk about that really shortly. Being able to be as responsive as possible and not necessarily have a one-size-fits-all solution is something that I think is uh, certainly working well for you. We touched on how diverse the state of Michigan is. And what I tell people is, at least by my perception, there's almost like three or four Michigans. You know, you've got Southeast Michigan that has, you know, the Detroit area and surrounding area that has its own culture, its own way of doing things. Uh, and so in many ways, its own politics. You know, you get into the into the central area of your state, maybe a little bit different. The industry starts to look a little bit different. And then, you know, in the the western part of the state, the Upper Peninsula, just absolutely some of the most beautiful country in the in the entire United States. I would tell people it reminds me of Door County in Wisconsin, 35 or 40 years ago, and that's become in some ways really commercialized and still very very uh, kind of quaint in that that part of your state. But three very very different areas different types of people, different types of industry. So how in, in your role uh, with the Michigan Works Association, Ryan, how do workforce development and, and related challenges differ from region to region? And how is the Michigan Works Association addressing the unique needs of every region in your state? Sure. That, that diversity of regions is, I, in my opinion, one of the best things about the state of Michigan, right? You have uh, an area of Michigan that Put the world on wheels in Metro Detroit, and they continue to advance the uh, manufacturing and automotive space, especially with a lot of recent investments in 
electric and autonomous vehicles. We have Stellantis and Ford and General Motors housed in Southeast Michigan as well. And they continue to make significant investments in that space. And then traveling throughout Michigan, you're never too far away from a wonderful beach, a wonderful lake. Uh, we have a great food scene, a great craft beer scene if you're into craft beer in West Michigan in the Grand Rapids region. But also that's one of the uh, one of the fastest growing regions, not just in Michigan, but in the country as well. So that diversity really does make Michigan a very unique state. It also has some opportunities, I would say, from a workforce development standpoint. And going back to my answer on the previous question around headwinds facing the state of Michigan right now, one of the things that makes Michigan so responsive to the needs of employers and job seekers is because, again, even though each region is a little bit different and a little more, you know, a little diverse from one another, because of the existing workforce delivery model we have in Michigan, where those resources are delivered each and every day by members of those agencies in those communities, we can be extremely responsive to the varying needs across the entire state of Michigan, whether you are in a rural area like Upper Peninsula, or if you are in uh, Metro Detroit and Southeast Michigan. And so the challenges may differ from region to region, but across the board, what we're seeing, especially right now, is companies in almost every single industry. I, I can't think of an industry right now that is not having some type of challenge with the labor shortage, but those dynamics are consistent across the board, regardless of whether you are in an urban or a rural area. But again, because of that local delivery model of workforce services, by the Michigan Works agencies themselves, they're able to uh, be responsive to the needs of their employers and the residents in those communities very easily, more easily, I think, than than many of our uh, workforce development counterparts across the country. And so workforce development continuing to evolve in ways that, that match the needs of specific regions, and those regions can be incredibly different from, from area to area, industry to industry. I used the example in the state of Wisconsin, where I live, in northern Wisconsin, we have a lot of logging and, and people need to understand things like like hydraulics and heavy equipment. And then you get down into southeast Wisconsin where it's really tech centric and, and it's a different set of skills in many ways. And some of them are associative skills that, that transition across different industries and some of them are unique to specific regions. And that was one of the reasons that we wanted to ask that question is that that your model really is designed to, to act toward those specific regions and the specific needs and expectations of your stakeholders across the state of Michigan. You know, one of the other ways that I think workforce development is evolving, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, is this whole area of third-party certifications. Hardly a tech ed podcast goes by that I don't take the opportunity to talk about my work with the Smart Automation Certification Alliance. As our listeners know, I volunteer on that board. I don't make a penny doing it, but it's something that's really, really important to me and important, I think, to the future of manufacturing. I'm also really involved with the Manufacturing Skills Standards Council, MSSC rather, and, they, and they're also very, very heavy-duty certifications, organizations like NACTI and, and, of course, FANUC, a great Michigan employer, has its NACTI certifications for, as one example, robot operations and programming. In the state of Michigan, you have what's called um, 60 by 30. Our, our listeners have heard about this in the past. Susan Corbin from Leo was on with us, as I mentioned earlier, uh, talking about 60 by 30, the whole idea of 60% of the post-secondary workforce, post-secondary age uh, population in the state of Michigan holding a third-party credential or some post-secondary credential by the year 2030. And it's a bold goal, but one that you're well on your way of achieving. And I know you've been really involved with that. So on this topic of third-party certifications, Ryan, do you think they're here to stay? Are they for real? And, and, And then the other big question I have is, how do we get to a point where our private employers or our industrial employers value them the way that they should? Great question, Matt. 
yes, I think they are here to stay. I not I don't think they're I, I know that they are here to stay. We've seen companies in some of the more tech-based industries really start to embrace third-party certifications, maybe in some ways on the same level, if not more than traditional education. When I was at the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, one of my roles there was a business development manager for the greater Ann Arbor region. And that's, again, Ann Arbor is one of, uh, you know, home of the University of Michigan, the different tech startups right there in and around downtown Ann Arbor, great scene, vibrant community, very thriving down there, but, but very heavily invested in the startup tech space. And I was talking with one of the tech startups, this was probably four or five years ago now, maybe maybe six years ago. And they were talking with me about their approach to the talent pipeline and career development. And they had mentioned they had already begun moving away over you know the last couple of years when I had this conversation and focusing less on traditional education, more on those third-party certifications and credentials as a way to measure how much an individual knows and how successful they may be within their company. And I think companies, especially that are more tech-oriented, are beginning, not that they don't care about a traditional you know, two-year or four-year college degree, I think that's always going to be of critical importance. And studies have shown right that the more education an individual has, the higher earnings potential they have over the course of their professional career. But those tech-oriented companies, because there are so many areas of specialty and so many different third-party certifications and credentials that an individual can earn, they're starting to view those credentials and those certifications on par with a two-year college or a four-year college degree. And I think that's that's more than okay. And I think what we can do as workforce developers is continue understanding the demand side of the talent equation. So that means talking with our employers, understanding what are some of the uh, credentials and certifications and skill sets that they need their job seekers to have, not just today, but a year down the road, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, and then taking that information and also working with our educators at the community college level, at the university level to ensure that the curriculum that they are developing and will continue to develop aligns with those real world in-demand careers of the future. I think you hit the nail on the head is that how do we make sure that the competencies that we're teaching at every level of education, regardless of how somebody's getting those competencies match with the needs of industry and certifications are a great way to do that. You were, you and I were on a webinar not too long ago together. And I mentioned on that webinar that they've kind of become the Rosetta Stone of the world of being able to speak from, in my case, industry to education, because in some cases, those are two different languages. But by going out to the people that are actually employing the talent and saying, what are you looking for when you're hiring people into these positions or promoting your incumbent workforce, and then driving those competencies back into third-party certifications, it's just a great way to do it. The other thing that we want our educators to know is that in, in our view, at least in my view, it's an and not an or. And so in other words, it's not, do I have a third-party certification or do I get a tech diploma or do I do, do I get an associate degree? Do I get a four-year bachelor's degree? What have you? To your point, it's really, how are we aligning both of those programs? And we can create certifications in such a way that they can stack up over time and lead to a tech diploma or an associate degree. So it's almost taking a formal education, breaking it down into smaller bite-sized pieces, making it a lot more flexible, a lot more accessible. And to, you know, to use a term you used earlier in our discussion, making them more democratic, making them more accessible to more people so that we can create this workforce of the future. It's going to be exciting to watch that happen over time. Michigan Works and the Michigan Works Association, a key part of that. I asked you earlier, Ryan, when you look back two years from now, 
how do you measure your personal success as the leader of your organization? What metrics does Michigan Works use now to measure its success? Sure. Well, across the workforce system, there's a number of different initiatives and programs that uh, the workforce uh, system here in Michigan implements at, from both federal programs and state programs. You know, some of the key metrics that we're taking a look at, and we're actually in the process of developing a, a dashboard that will be housed on the association's website so we can show month to month what the impact is across the entire system in Michigan. Some of those metrics that we will continue to measure would be foot traffic. And if, you, if you're viewing this, you, I know we're listening to this on any platform uh, that you choose, iTunes, uh, Spotify, whatever it may be on your podcast, but I'm using air quotes with my fingers when I say foot traffic. We're not only measuring physical foot traffic in the service centers, uh, at the American job centers throughout the state of Michigan. We're also measuring virtual engagements as well because we've seen quite a bit of transition, right? Where people not are, are not necessarily walking into to get services for employment. They're also engaging virtually uh, and digitally with members of the workforce system in Michigan. So we're measuring that impact. We're also measuring participation rates in various programs and also perhaps even probably the most important metric that we will continue to measure is earnings after program exit. So after an individual leaves or completes a program in the workforce system, what are their earnings potential? How is that being maximized and increased over time? And if you look at historical data back in program year 2019, participants in programs through the Michigan Works system on average earned about $1,400 more in the second quarter after exit compared to the national average. And even though Michigan was one of the states most heavily impacted by COVID-19, even with program year 20 numbers, Michigan participants are still earning hundreds of dollars more on average in wages in that second quarter after exit compared to national averages across the country. So those are some of the key metrics that we're using to ensure that we're measuring the effectiveness of our workforce system here in Michigan. And for any employee, any dislocated employee, anybody who is looking at making a change in career, anybody who's looking to develop their skills, I think that last metric you mentioned, Ryan, is a really, really important one. There's a lot of ways to measure the impact of an economic development organization, but certainly in the form of the wages of the people participating in a workforce development program, uh, that's, that's money right into their pocket. That's payback and manufacturing. We talk all about ROI and business. We talk about ROI. That's personal ROI making an investment of your time, oftentimes with funding that offsets the cost of that training, and then immediately having an impact on your pocketbook. So just a a great example of one of the many things that you're measuring at Michigan Works and the Michigan Works Association. One of the other things I know you spend a lot of time thinking about is technology itself. We've already talked about mechatronics. We've talked about electromechanical technicians. We've talked about automation and robotics, all these things that are so important to the Michigan economy. When you look at how you keep up with technology, I've got to believe that's a a big challenge and a big part of what you do. Technology, the rate of change in technology certainly isn't slowing down. How do you keep up with so many different stakeholders, so many different constituencies with changes in technology to make sure that your programming remains relevant? Well, first and foremost, I listen to the Tech Ed podcast. Awesome. Uh, for those of you who are listening, be sure to uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars. But uh, in all seriousness, outside of the Tech Ed podcast, uh, I think really, again, we did, we pride ourselves on being a demand-driven system. And so we are constantly in communication with trade associations, with individual employers, 
especially in the manufacturing technology space. And those are organizations, those are the companies that are going to be doing the hiring. They know and understand the labor market and what some of the needs are that they are going to have in the long term to ensure success here in Michigan. And so one thing we're going to have to do and continue to do as a workforce system in Michigan is maintain those conversations, maintain those contacts with those employers. That way we can understand what are some of those technological changes that are going to impact their labor, their workforce, their employees. And we can then take that and continue collaborating with other stakeholders in those industry verticals with the educators as well uh, to line up the stackable portable credentials uh, in the long term to ensure that the residents and the job seekers of Michigan have the available skills, uh, both technically and soft skills that they will need to be successful in the long run. I love the way you, you articulate that so clearly. And, and it is so important to keep up with changes in technology. And I know it's a personal interest of yours. And, and we certainly appreciate the plug for the Tech Ed podcast as well. So thank you for that. I want to talk now, Ryan, a little bit about the state of Michigan in general and maybe making some some observations. You know, we work in around workforce development organizations, around educators literally all over the country, both in, the, in our work with the Tech Ed podcast and so working with workforce development organizations, educators, people working on public policy across the entire country and in the state of Michigan, one of my observations about your state is, you know, you've got some people, and I would put yourself in this group that are fast moving, they're visionary, they know where they want to take their organizations, they want to get things done. I've been in a number of meetings where people kind of, I'll be honest with you, they chuckle a little bit about the culture in Michigan, where they say, you know, it just takes us a long time to do things. And, you know, maybe this will turn into something and maybe it won't. And it, you know, it, it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes working around folks with that kind of view. And probably the best way to encapsulate it is to say that, you know, you've got some movers and shakers that are really making things happen. And you've got some people in your state that, that um, you know, spend a lot of money talking about problems and maybe don't always get the results that the rest of us would like to see. So there's plenty of future-focused technology and advanced manufacturing-related initiatives across your state. We've talked about on this podcast here and in, in other episodes, MyRev, Michigan Reconnect, 60 by 30, we already touched on as some good examples. How can and should organizations like Michigan Works and your association accelerate implementation and results? Sure. Great question, Matt. And, and you touched on it a little bit in your lead up to the question about, you know, the I think the perception of Michigan industry, right? We have some some legacy companies that have been around and especially in the manufacturing and automotive space for well over a hundred years in Michigan. And then you travel to different parts of, of the state. You might go out to the West Coast, uh, to California and see all these tech startups. And I do think, and I've I've heard it directly from them in the past in my work uh, previously at the MEDC on, on a couple of business investment missions to the West Coast. You know, their perception of the startup community is let's work on this and, and come up with a solution yesterday. And their biggest concern is working with, I think, some of the, the more uh, traditional, well-ingrained, uh, entrenched industry here in places like the state of Michigan. But what I have seen over the last five years, 10 years here in Michigan is embracing more, uh, I don't want to call it risk-taking, but kind of bold visionary leadership even amongst some of the institutionalized industries here in Michigan and some of the industry leaders is to be more daring, be more bold. And I think if we're going to accelerate implementation and see those results in the near term and the long term, quite frankly, I think we all always have to keep our eye on how is this going to impact long term, the business environment in Michigan, how is this going to impact the residents in Michigan with that long term mindset in mind. But I think it takes that visionary leadership and that acceptance of 
uh, being able to, to take some some risks, be bold, be daring, understand that sometimes if, if you take on a new initiative or a new venture, it may not be as wildly successful as you could have imagined. But at the same time, you might also take some initiative and not have too many expectations of it. But at the end of the day, it might be the thing that is the game changer for your company, for your community, for your region here in Michigan. And I do think that we have the right visionary leadership in place, uh, especially in the private sector in Michigan. I think the private sector in Michigan is continuing to, in the face of significant challenges, be bold and, and work with a number of stakeholders to ensure that as we're accelerating implementation in the technology space, uh, we're doing that here first and foremost in Michigan. We're going to continue to be the visionary leaders we always have been here in the state. Yeah, those words, be daring and be bold. And I think the culture around, you know, whether it's workforce development, public policy in general, I think people are a lot more forgiving in these days of maybe being daring and bold and not quite measuring up and failing. And they're almost more interested in seeing that than somebody that just plays it safe and, and doesn't drive an organization ahead. So looking forward, if it sounds like there's been an evolution in the last five years, probably more evolution in the next five years, but I'm, I'm with you. I'm all about being daring and being bold and going into a situation, not being quite sure how you're going to come out of it, but knowing that you'll figure it out along the way and would certainly uh, encourage you and, and other organizational leaders in the state of Michigan across the United States as it relates to public policy, workforce development, try new things. Don't be afraid to try something. Don't be afraid to fail. That's how we're going to move this country ahead. That's how we're going to secure the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. And on the topic of that next generation, you're out of high school. You're closer to being out of high school than I am. I've been out of high school for a long time. Probably have the ability to relate to a high school sophomore in ways that I would. And one of the questions we ask every single guest here on the Tech Ed Podcast, Ryan, is if you could offer one piece of advice to a high school sophomore, what would that piece of advice be? It'd be kind of two parts, I think. Embrace change and stay up with the latest technologies, right? I think what we've seen for industry leaders who are successful in this day and age for individuals who are successful in this day and age in their in their personal and professional lives staying up with the latest technologies and also understanding and recognizing where that next big wave is going to come if you can tap into that and understand that dynamic then i think you're setting yourself up for continued success embracing change embracing those latest technologies i know that's one of the things that michigan works is really really involved and committed toward. For our, our listeners that have been on today and, and have an interest in learning more, Ryan, where should we point them to understand more about your organization? Sure. It's very simple. You can go onto our website at michiganworks.org, and there you can learn all about our association as well as the 16 Michigan Works agencies across the state. Perfect. Michiganworks.org for more information about the organization. Ryan Hunt, Chief Executive Officer of the Michigan Works Association. It's been an awesome conversation. You're doing great things over there across the lake. Please keep it up. Looking forward to continuing our discussions with you. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.